In your mind, what attracts the attention of other drivers the most while you're on your motorcycle? What jumps out to the drivers of those cars and trucks and tells them that they are seeing a motorcycle and rider in front of them? The color of your jacket, your helmet, maybe the color of your bike? Well, you may be surprised at some of this. This is part one of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive visibility series. Over the coming months, we will occasionally add episodes in this series, all dealing with the idea that we need to be seen on the road to be safe. We'll talk about how we can do it, what makes a difference, and and what may be a complete waste of time. Today, we're going to learn about one of the most important, one of the top things that we can do to increase our visibility. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Chris Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com There was a a huge surge in motorcycle sales in the U.S. in the 1970s, but even with that huge surge around that time, only about 2.7% of all the vehicles on the road were motorcycles. Now, I want you to remember that, 2.7%. Now, around this time, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or what I'm going to refer to from here on is NHTSA in the U.S., Notice when they compiled their their crash data that it was around 10% of all traffic fatalities that involved motorcycles. And these were mostly collisions with other vehicles. I'll get get to more of that later. So how could that be? As I said, 2.7% of all the vehicles on the road were motorcycles, yet they accounted for a whopping 10% of traffic fatalities. Well, that's the question that the NHTSA was asking, and it wasn't just them either. Hospitals were reporting with this rise in motorcycle popularity. They were reporting a rise in moto-related injuries in the emergency rooms. But why? What was it about the motorcycle that seemed to be attracting crashes with other vehicles? Well, the NHTSA wanted answers as well, so they turned to the University of Southern California to a fellow named Professor Harry Hurt. Harry Hurt was studying safety science, and he was already an experienced rider, so he was the man. Hurt, along with his team of investigators, all of them experienced motorcyclists, studied the problem between 1976 and 1977 extensively. They dug into accident data, they visited crash scenes, they spoke with riders, they looked at wreckages after the fact, they checked skid marks, and and much, much more. 
When they were done, they had studied over 900 crash scenes in Los Angeles, both urban and rural crashes. Now, over that time, Harry Hurt and his team, they compiled a stunning amount of data from all types of crashes, and they crunched that data into what was to become very well known in our industry now as the Hurt Report. The name, obviously from Hurt's last name, but somehow very applicable and kind of almost spine chilling. Aside from that, the Hurt Report was published in 1981 and remains to this day the most exhaustive study of its kind. Now, there's been other research, but apparently none of it has gone to the depths that Hurt and his colleagues did back in 76 and 77. So what did Hurt and his team discover? Well, the full report, as I said, was published in 81. It was over 400 pages long. But the major findings were that, get this, three quarters of motorcycle crashes, of all motorcycle crashes, involved other vehicles. And two thirds of those crashes were the result of the driver of the other vehicle failing to see the motorcycle. Let me say that again. Two thirds, 66.6% repeating, didn't see the motorcycle. They didn't see the motorcycle. Now, Hurt went on to say, and I quote him here, The majority of motorcycle accidents present a front view of the motorcycle and rider to the driver of the other vehicle, unquote. And another quote, this clearly establishes the conspicuity problem as relating to the frontal surfaces of the motorcycle. In this area, the highest contrast possible is provided by an operating headlamp, unquote. Now, the reasons are unclear, but after the Hurt Report came out, the uh, after it was released to the public, motorcycle deaths declined for a short while, but they then began to rise again in uh, 1998 to 2008, according to another study. Now, the latest data is from 2018 from the U.S. Department of Transportation. Sadly, it shows that motorcycle traffic fatalities have actually increased to 14%. That's more than double of those in 1997. Now, back then, headlights were kind of anemic by today's standards, but they were on the cars as well. But with that thought process in mind, the understanding that lights in front are our best chance of being seen, and there's more research out from the Quebec government in Canada that says that auxiliary lights broaden your profile. Um, It's our best way, our best chance of avoiding being cut off by another vehicle is to be seen and lighting is our number one choice. Now, one great thing is today we have all kinds of auxiliary lights available and with the ubiquitous LED technology, those LED lights, they, they light up so sharp and so bright. Um, you know, it lights things up like never before. Now, unfortunately, all things are not equal. The LED lights are not equal. If they say 10 watts, it doesn't mean that two 10-watt lights are going to be the same. And certainly, a 10-watt LED is completely different than a 10-watt halogen. So there's a lot to understand here if you're going to get auxiliary lights. Today, we're going to talk about the things you should know and understand the terminology Uh, about lights, about auxiliary lights in particular, before you rush out and make that purchase. Hi, I'm Daryl Van Neuenhaus with Cyclops Adventure Sports, located in uh, the great Pacific Northwest, Washington State. Happy to be here today. Daryl, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you, Jim. So you obviously own Cyclops and you make lighting. What is it that got you so passionate about motorcycle lighting to begin with? Just what's that backstory? You know, it, it, it totally came out of a personal need. 
that I was working a job where uh, a lot of overtime and I wasn't finding myself getting out to, to do trail riding. I, I was just a, I used to be a hardcore single track, uh, trail rider. And, um, I had, I had, uh, bought a bike and happened to have a headlight, which I, I never had before. I always had motocross style bikes and, uh, oh, this was an O2. It was a KTM 520. And I go, man, this thing's got a headlight. I'm going to, great. This is cool. I'm going to go riding after work. I can get some riding in now when I, I normally would just be going home, sitting on the couch or doing whatever. Um, so I went out and I took this new bike I had with a headlight and took me about five minutes to realize that there's no way I'm riding this bike in these trails with, with this headlight. So it became real apparent to me that I needed a, something on my head to see around the tight corners over the tree roots, that type of thing. Um, so I, uh, I started looking around at what was available. Uh, at that time it was halogen bicycle lights. They were all about maybe 10 watts or so. And I bought one and, uh, put it on my helmet and went riding and yeah, it, it worked, but it didn't, wasn't anywhere near the power that I needed to ride at a, uh, at a fun pace. Um, so I, I was a tool maker by trade. So I, uh, I came back to the house and I grabbed a big ball of clay that I happened to have and, grabbed my helmet and started modeling a housing around a track light bulb, a 35 watt track light bulb. Um, and I made a mold off of that and made myself one and went out riding and Hey, this thing works really good. Uh, made my riding partner one and we started going out and hitting the trails after work. And, uh, then pretty soon we found that we were actually going to ride at night on purpose instead of during the daytime because it was so much fun. Um, and then kind of people st started seeing that asking about, Hey, what are you guys doing? We're, they're packing up, leaving and we're just coming in to go riding. And, uh, it just kind of, kind of, uh, kind of built from there. We never had any intention of doing a business out of it. Um, in fact, if I look back, I'm not so sure that was the smartest decision, but, uh, it's it all came along, uh, it, it was a rough road for a long time, but, um, happy I did it in the end. And, uh, it, it was just a process of people seeing something different they hadn't seen before and, and kind of told me that was the direction to go. Uh, Probably in hindsight, so. it's uh it's good too the timing wise, because the, you're talking about before LEDs, this is, this is back. Oh when yeah. This was, yeah, bulbs. we were exactly, we were having to power our stuff off the motorcycle stator, um, and we did that for oh, probably the first four years or so we were, we were doing things. Um, and then we slowly came out with battery packs, but still there, you're we're pulling 35 Watts off of a halogen bulb. So the battery packs were big and bulky, heavy. Um, and, uh, as led technology started to come on, we, we started realizing, wow, this is, this is really the direction we need to go. And, um, started exploring some of that stuff. Mm. Uh, although it was pretty, pretty clunky in the beginning, it just got better and better. And, uh, we kept working at it and finally came out with products that actually worked, uh, really well and gave the, the type of light that we wanted to be able to ride, uh, at a very fast pace at night. Yeah. LED is really where it's all at right now, isn't it? I mean, is anyone doing oh, anything uh, with anything other than LED now? 
you know, there, there's still some HID stuff out there and, and certainly the halogen bulbs, they'll, they'll probably never go away. Um, but yeah, everything is going LED, uh, you know, until we see the next, next change in lighting, which potentially is, is looking like it's probably laser technology, but, uh, I think LED is going to be along, oh, around a long time. The, uh, the lasers have got some, some issues and, uh, trying to keep them cool, that type of thing, and trying to get wider beam patterns out of them. Mm-hmm. That I I don't see that overtaking the uh, the LED market anytime in the next ten years or so. No, oh, I wasn't aware of the, the laser thing. I mean, and the thing is, with LEDs now, as they're so popular, that the the price has come down, and now these things are all affordable. They, they were once very expensive. Like we've we've always almost always been off grid for most of our our life, our adult life. And um, when LEDs first came out, they were super expensive, but we would buy them because the, the savings in power was tremendous. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the prices are starting to come down. Uh, it's not quite as, um, if you look throughout the marketplace, prices can be all over the place. Um, there are reasons for that. There's a lot of different technology coming out. Uh, so. A lot of LED lights you see now are what's called cob, which is chip on board. Um, we pretty much stay with Cree emitter technology. Um, I feel that that's a that's a more efficient and for what what most people are doing in in the motorcycle LED technology, the Cree chips are are still the the top uh, ring of the ladder to say. Okay. And I want to get to that, but I want to start off sort of right at the, right at the very beginning, I guess, when people are out shopping for lights, because one of the first things you notice as you start to shop for lights for your bike is you notice the wattage reference. And I think most of us sort of have a, a rough understanding of that. And then often there's a, a lumen reference. Can you talk about those two things and, and, and tell us, you know, what watts and lumens do for, for us in a light? Absolutely. Um, well, typically, you know, a higher wattage uh, draw on a light is going to mean more power. Um, where a consumer needs to be careful is that sometimes a LED manufacturer or supplier will put a wattage um, call out on a product. And they're actually com- trying to compare that to what it was in a halogen bulb. So if they're if they're telling you a, a LED light is a sixty watt light or something, you see this is real common in the household bulb stuff, which a lot of people might be a lo- little more familiar with. And for instance, last week I was in uh, the local Home Depot looking for some lights, and I'm going like, okay, I'm going to get some LEDs for for my house, and I'm seeing sixty watts. I'm going like, wait a minute. There's no way this bulb is 60 watts. Uh, it would be unbelievably it, bright as an LED at 60 it, watts. It would be unbelievably bright. It would get super hot, all this stuff. And then as I'm reading, I realize, oh, okay, they're, they're trying to compare it to what a halogen bulb would do. Mm. Um, so that's real common. Yeah, because often you'll see that reference where it'll say it's it's six watts equal to a 60 watt incandescent light or something like that. Yeah, and if, if they tell you that, that's great. You know, that, that really gives you a way to, to judge it. Um, a lot of times you don't get that information. With wattage though, wattage is, is really, can you talk about what that is? I mean, that, that's really just telling you how much energy it's, it's dissipating, isn't it? Yeah, that's telling you how much energy the, well, if it's, if it's the real figure that the LED is actually pulling, um, then that's telling you how much wattage it's going to consume. So and since if we're talking about motorcycles, which 
we obviously are, um, that uh, that wattage figure would be used to figure out, say, say you've got 100 watts available on your bike to run GPS, uh, maybe some heated gear, some heated grips, uh, and some auxiliary lights, and, and maybe some other things you might want to put on your bikes. Um, that wattage figure is very important to figure out what the total amount you have in the bank that you can draw from. So if you know that your headlight bulb, for instance, is pulling out 25 watts, um, that's going to leave you 75 watts in the bank for all this other stuff. Uh, so that's really where LEDs can help out a lot in our motorcycle riding is that it can free up extra wattage for all these other electronic devices you might want to run, uh, GPSs, heated gear, that type of thing. And how are you going to find out how many watts are available on your bike? Uh, sometimes that can be tricky. It can be real tricky because the manufacturer doesn't, isn't going to give you that information. Um, they oftentimes will tell you what the stator puts out and then you've got to look at that and go, okay, well now how much does the bike need to actually operate? Those two figures are completely different. Luckily bikes don't take a whole lot to run the, run the, uh, ignition system and the basic things the bike needs to start up and run. Um, so once you, and honestly, that information, there's nowhere that it's really compiled in a way that the average consumer can find that information out. Um, you're going to find it through forums and guys have done trial and error, that type of thing. Um, but in general, today's modern motorcycles have got enough power that you really don't have to worry about it on most of the mainstream uh, type bikes. Uh, yeah. Most of that's what I was going to say. Most of the, most of the newer bikes now, like, unless it's an older design, like, I mean, I, I guess I haven't changed the KLR yet, or although I guess I've stopped making that now, but something like that may still be on the low scale, but most of the newer bikes are putting out more as they realize that people are bolting on things. Although, like you say, I mean, it'll say, if you look up the, the stator, it'll say, you know, maybe 400 watt stator, but it doesn't tell you how much is available. It'd be nice if they said it's a 400 watt stator and you've got, you know, 245 watts available for accessories. That'd be great. Yeah, that would be nice. It'd make my job a lot easier. That's for sure. Well, so how do you know if you're, if you're overdoing it then? Well, um, you're going to have, you'll, you'll start having dropouts and, and typically a, the average person is never going to get in that type of situation. Um, they just do a little bit of, uh, uh, of research and, um, ask a few questions. I mean, it would be for a modern bike, especially the EFI stuff, uh, you know, dirt bikes set aside. Um, but in a modern adventure bike, you're going to have enough power to, to really do whatever you want. Um, you know, most of these bikes are pushing 200 Watts and, and that leaves you with at least 150 Watts or so to play with. So, right. um, in general, it's not a huge issue. Now you do see, I know that there are some, some guys that really want to run these great big lights that, you know, basically light up like the sun. And, you know, if they're pulling 70 watts a piece, then, uh, and you're trying to run heated gear, you might have some problems even on bikes like, a uh, R1250 GS, which, you know, that thing's got a ton of stator power and, um, you, you, at that point you might want to start thinking about it, but anything that's in the, uh, anything that's, uh, going to be the, the normal 
style of what somebody's going to want to run that's going to work well isn't going to be pushing you know that type of wattage 140 watts for lights in my eyes is is a bit uh overkill yeah um you just don't need to pull that much wattage and, and because you're talking led right i mean if we we're talking yeah, incandescent exactly. then you'd have to worry about a lot more because i know on on my klr i don't have any more but i remember putting on uh, auxiliary lights the incandescent bulbs halogen bulbs and uh running into problem didn't have enough power to run my heated grips and my auxiliary lights and my headlight and, and of course the, the power needed for the engine. And I knew that because it, it's killing the battery. As I come back, the lights are dimming, you know, and I realize I'm running out of power. But as you say, with the LEDs, it's um, it's not so much a concern. So I'll just cover up the watt thing before we let that go then. So so watts are, are it's a, it's an interesting or it's a, it's a good um, measurement for us to understand the power that the light may produce. But you have to understand which light you're looking at. So this is, as you mentioned, the watts, posted on an incandescent light are completely different than the same watt number posted on the LED light. And as you, your example, you know, if we said that you had a 16 watt LED light, that could be a bright light, but a 16 watt incandescent bulb that you might buy for your house or might have bought for your house would be terribly dull. So, so an important reference for us to understand that. Where does the lumen come in and what does that tell us? Well, lumens is a rating of light output at the source. And that's key at the source. A lumen rating tells you absolutely nothing as a rider of what that beam pattern is going to be, how far that beam is going to shoot, um, what type of light you're going to get out of that product. It's absolutely worthless. Um, it will tell you how bright the source of the light is if you're getting accurate information. Um, and that's also key in today's LED world as well. Um, you have to be very careful that uh, what you're purchasing is actually represented with whoever you're buying it from. For instance, and I don't want to, I don't want to pigeonhole any other company or anything like that into a, into a spot. But if I was looking on Amazon or eBay and I'm looking at, at some lights and I'm seeing 10,000 lumens, 20,000 lumens. I can rest assured if I bring that light in here that it's probably going to be putting out about half of what that actually states, um, if I'm lucky. Uh, the reason is, is what happens is that you'll have a chip, whether that's a Cobb chip or a Cree emitter or whatever it might be, and it can be rated at, say, the, say that chip puts out 1,000 lumens. Well, that 1,000 lumen rating is if everything is run at 100% and it's just as efficient as possible. You don't have to worry about any cooling and you're just sitting there letting it, letting it cook itself on the bench. There's no way you could take that same amount of power and put it in a light that's going to last and ship it down the road. They back them down uh, significantly so that they'll, they'll actually give some type of... Uh, long life of service, you know, like everybody thinks of LEDs. So be careful there. Uh, the other thing about lumens is, like I mentioned, it doesn't give you a judge of any type of distances. You can take, a, for instance, um, one of the longest distance lights we actually offer is our lowest lumen light. It's a 1000 lumen light that will actually shine further than lights that we have that are, you know, 2,000 or 3,000 lumens. Mm. Um, the reason being it's all optics. Uh, 
Uh, an optic is what creates the beam pattern and the distance. So we find that lights that use a single LED emitter, high quality emitter in the center of the light with a, with a nice big reflector around it is going, certainly going to shine a lot further and provide more distance than what a multiple emitter light would be that might put out two, three times as many lumens, but it, you can't channel that light with a smaller emitter. Mm. Um, if that makes any sense. That, that's some of the, the stuff that you can easily miss if you don't understand something, if you don't get into the technical aspects of it. It'll look like the product, but what they've done is they've stuck a light in that's capable of producing a lot of light, but without the design behind it. I mean, that's really where it all comes into play, doesn't it? The, that's why you yeah, see those people going down the road with an LED, LED headlight that's spraying light all over the place. You know, instead of what it's supposed uh, to be. Absolutely, and it's it's real common. You'll see it in the, those guys with the, the well UTVs or trucks with the light bars. Um, if it's got a whole bunch of LEDs in it, um, and it just it's just sparkling with these little LEDs and with a with a small little cone around them or or some type of small reflector. It's just it's going to be very bright to look at, but it, they're not going to get the penetration down the down the road. And that's been a common, uh, common thing with led light bars. You know, now as time's changing, a lot of the companies are, are figuring it out and going like, yeah, we need maybe less lumens, uh, less led chips or emitters and bigger optics. And you, you are starting to see that more mainstream now than what back, uh, you know, five years ago was mm, for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, then there's all the waterproofing and cooling and everything else that, that goes on uh, with the light as well that you get in a, in a better quality light that you won't get in a cheaper light. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, so yeah. it, should we be paying that much attention to lumens then, or, or is watt the king? You know, actually, wattage or lumens isn't what you really want to know. You want to know something called lux, mm -hmm. and you want to know a lux number at a certain distance. Um, not everybody's going to give that to you. So what, what Lux is is a measurement of what one can actually see with their eye. So, um, you know, if you get a Lux of, say, one Lux is typically what somebody can actually see. So uh, if you get somebody telling you, okay, you're going to have one Lux at 900 feet, you should be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty confident that that's what you're going to get. Um, you're going to, at 900 feet, you're going to be able to see something whether it may not be like your, you know, daylight, but you can, you can see it. Mm. Uh, so Lux is really that number you're looking for. And you're only going to see that in auxiliary lights on something like a uh, LED headlight bulb, for instance. It's impossible for a manufacturer to give you that information because they don't know the reflector that it's going in. And the reflector yeah. is what, what does all the work. Uh, right. So the Lux is taking into account everything rather than just yes. talking about how much light is emitted at the source, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I see what you're saying. So, so that's the, what, what, that's the, the number that we're after. And if you're plugging a, an LED headlight into any sort of, um, if it was an incandescent uh, headlight to begin with, and you're plugging in an LED replacement, you don't get the focus. You don't get the beam that's meant for that LED light. Well, I wouldn't say that because some of the, uh, some of the LED headlight bulbs are, are very, very good. Um, what you don't get is the ability for the manufacturer to tell you a Lux number mm. because, you know, you're, you're putting it in, 
you know, there's no way somebody can go through all the bikes or all the vehicles in the world and go, okay, in this one and test them and go, okay, in, in say a GS1200, here you're going to get one Lux at 400 feet. Um, it's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, where they can give you, in this case, you would get a lumen rating based on what that bulb is capable of producing. So if it's a good design and goes in the headlight good and it accepts it, then, then you know, hey, that's probably going to be a pretty good product. Uh, but you won't get that Lux number on a headlight bulb. You should get it on a set of auxiliary lights. Most manufacturers should be able to give you that information. Okay. Now, what about light temperature? Because we know all know that LEDs come in, in different colors now, but there's even temperature. And I've seen, I think it was for cars, for, for headlights, some manufacturers saying certain colors or temperature of lights will penetrate fog more than other colors. But, but temperature is measured in Kelvin units. Can you talk a bit about that first? Absolutely. Uh, Kelvin is a measurement of color temperature. So um, say a light that is around 3000 K is going to be on the yellowish side and that's going to work good for fog, uh, anywhere you're getting particles in the air, that type of stuff. That's very close to what a halogen bulb would have a typical, you know, when you, when you buy your bike and it comes off the showroom floor or whatever and has halogen lights, you're probably going to be somewhere around 3000 K. Um, as the scale goes up, once you get, you're going to get brighter white up until you get to about 6,000 K. Once you're at 6,000 K, you're starting to turn blue. Um, and the sunlight's around 55, 5,700 K. We like to use that because it's very uh, conspicuous for our, us motorcycles on the road. It's a very white, bright light that people see. It stands out. Uh, it works good in all around applications. Um, and people are going to see it. Once you get into the 6,000 K and you start turning a little bluish, uh, and in fact, there's lights that are, are up to eight, 9,000 K. I've seen some, they're actually turned purple. The, the amount of light that you're actually producing dramatically drops off. Um, you start getting really weird shadows, that type of thing. So, uh, my advice would be to definitely stay under 6,000 K uh, for any of anybody riding a motorcycle, I don't, I don't think those products belong on them. Um, if you stay, if you're a street rider, staying down around uh, 55 to 5800 is optimal for people seeing you, and it's also going to work very well at night. It's really going to make the phosphorus and the signs pop at night. Um, really very helpful. If you're an off-road rider doing a lot of uh, stuff where you're riding in the dirt, um, rocks, roots, that type of thing, a lower Kelvin light will actually help you see a little better. Um, it'll help you see those, those edges off the roots and rocks and that type of thing. So in that case, you know, you might want to have something down around 4,000 or so, um, which is, is a real benefit if you're out there riding at night, you can hmm. see a lot better. Okay. That's, that's all really interesting. Now, is there a combo that you would suggest like for headlight and then auxiliary lights that would work best for riding? As far as, uh, well, as far as covering off the, the different temperatures that would, would handle riding a motorcycle best. Yeah. 
I, I like to match my my color of my lights. Now I do. So if I'm using my auxiliary lights, then the, the, they're at 55 or 5700K. I want my headlight to be about the same. Um, now there are lights out there that have covers that'll go over the over the front of them and change them from like that 5700K to a very yellowish light, maybe down, you know, at 2500 or 3000. And that's, a, that's kind of attractive because what we can do then is we can put these filters on the lights and uh, people will really notice that as being something different in traffic. And then when you get out and you actually have to say you have to, you're commuting in traffic during the daytime and whatnot, you've got your yellow lights on, you get out to where you actually need to use the lights and you're not dealing with fog, rain, mist, that type of thing. You can pop these covers off and now you've got, you know, your light back to 5700K, which is really going to light up the street, the road, all that type type of good stuff. And then you get the most benefit out of your lights. Um, so having the ability to throw filters on and off of lights, you know, you keep them in your tank bag or your side bag, whatever, um, can really be a benefit for both people seeing you during the daytime uh, and then at night when you're actually having to ride with them, you can pop these, pop these guys off and uh, get the full effect of your lights at night. Uh, but an amber, amber light uh, as opposed to just a white light in the daytime definitely stands out in traffic more. take a quick break uh, just two minutes here while i tell you about a couple of things but when we come back we're going to dig into the mystery of the cree light you see that advertised everywhere we're going to find out what it's all about go light go far go fast that's what they say at giant loop and by the way giant loop is another one of those companies that started by a rider so it's riders making products for riders uh, you can't beat the passion behind products like that the giant loop difference they say is that the bags they build are built for the job. So they remove unnecessary weight and bulk. Um, that's not in their designs. Instead, they focus on lighter, simpler approaches that, that really work well. So everything that, that is there on those bags is meant to be there for a specific reason. Not, you don't have a bunch of the extra buckles and straps that seems so common on a lot of the, the gear that you find out there today. Giant Loop is, is well known for their loop style bag that mounts on any bike. It loops over, very popular with dual sport riders. It loops over the back of the bike. You don't need a rack um, that just strap on. Uh, by the way, they just made, uh, recently anyway, they've made a rack, like a pannier rack that you can use for their soft panniers. And they've got quite a, a line of panniers now. They've got handlebar bags, tank bags, and like those super looking panniers I'm talking about. They've got everything from large uh, bags that are meant for around the world trips to smaller weekend trips quite a bit at the website. The website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. Giantloopmoto.com. IMS Products has a full line of foot pegs designed specifically for adventure motorcycle riders. The ADV1 and ADV2 series pegs are their larger foot pegs. They give you the more control, more efficient control over your, a large motorcycle. IMS makes their pegs, all their pegs, of CAST-certified 17-4 stainless steel. Um, they are especially heat-treated and made in the USA. They um, warranty the products for life. The only thing you can do now is try these things out. I've got them on, on my bike, and uh, they really make all the difference. They're, they're the, they, one of those modifications that when you make, you always appreciate, but you can always forget that they're there because they work so well. IMSproducts.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. 
Now, you, you mentioned earlier you, you made reference to a Cree light. You see that sometimes people advertising it like um, it, it's a it's a better LED. And then you mentioned Cobb and Cree emitter. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Cree is an American manufacturer that uh, actually, um, I believe they were the inventors of the first emitters. I, I could be wrong on that, but but to my knowledge, I believe that's what they are. They invented the LED chip. Um, so uh, Cree does not make lights themselves. They make the emitters. The, the LED is the emitter then? Yeah. Uh, effectively, in layman's term would be looking at one of these pieces called an LED. It's which it is. It's light emitting diode. Um, but the emitter is actually, you know, the, it's just that little unit that produces the light, you know, from there it has to go onto a board. It's got to have electronics to power it, drivers, that type of thing to where we can control how much power we're putting into that emitter, um, cooling, all that other stuff that goes along with making good light has to be done once you have the raw emitter. And then in increase emitter line, they'll take and they'll rate the, say you could have the, the same emitter that would have different ratings on it. So you might see a light that's advertised as a Cree emitter, but is it, is it the top bin Cree emitter? So they, they'll have, well, I use diamonds as a, uh, as a uh, reference to this all the time. You know, you can buy a diamond that is a, uh, and I'm, I'm far from a diamond S expert, but uh, like a VVF code or a uh, specification, that's going to be much higher quality than maybe something down the line, but it's the same basic diamond. You know, they've, they've got different cuts, different clarities, that type of thing. The Cree emitters are done very similar is that there are different bin numbers and it's all about quality. So their top quality bin is going to put out a lot more light than one of the lower quality bins, but they're actually called the same, same part number. Um, it's the manufacturer that chooses which bin that they want to purchase. And of course it's priced accordingly so they can get a much bigger, much higher light output from the higher quality bin number than they're going to get from the lower quality bin. It can, it can be like 30%. So it's a, it's a big thing. Um, so Cree makes emitters that are, you know, uh, manufacturer will take them, they'll place them on their boards. Um, and it's a, it's generally the, a bubble type. When you look at the emitter, it's going to have a bubble over it. Um, Cobb is a technology that is a flat surface and all the, the emitter is actually uh, built flat. It doesn't have any domes over it, that type of thing, or, or none that I've seen anyways. Um, and those can be ad advantageous for, for uh, certain products. It allows a much smoother transmission of light um, for, say, like household lighting, that type of thing. Sometimes it's easier to channel that light into different products for our purposes on a motorcycle, I, I think that the Cree is a better way to go. Um, it gives us an ability to, for instance, in a headlight bulb, to really focus that bulb better than what we might be able to do with a uh, Cobb chip on board technology. Um, it, I feel it cools better and it's just a, just a higher quality product. Okay. So that, uh, that certainly gives us lots to look at when we're 
going to buy an LED light. Now, now you sent me um, your Evo safety turn signal inserts, as well yeah. as an Aurora two inch light, which is a 19 uh, watt light set. So was there a reason that you sent those two together? Like, are those matched at all? Those are, those are, are fairly well matched in, although they weren't made at the same time with that idea. We, we like to keep all of our stuff in the 56 to 5,800 K, uh, realm. And that's certainly what those are. Um, that Aurora light, something that we're real happy with it. Uh, it was, uh, the first two inch compact light offering that type of power. Um, you know, to get 19 watts out of a single emitter two-inch light was quite a feat when we started off. Um, and by that, by getting more power into that single reflector design, we're able to get the beam pattern to to be very crisp and nice and, and get some very good distance out of it. Um, so we're real happy with that light. Uh, and then we got, I don't, did you get the DRL version or the, or the straight? Uh I'm not sure what's the difference between the two. This, this one has the orange ring around the outside. Yeah, that's the DRL. Um, so that's another, back when we were talking about amber lights and what that, that light was a design that uh, we thought, well, here's a customer could get the amber, amber running light during the daytime. And then at night switch over to the auxiliary light and not have to play around with filters. If, if conspicuancy was the name of the game. Uh, also looks right. pretty cool on the bike, I think. Um, I've got them on one of my 990s and I, I actually really like those. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique look and I didn't realize it was actually functional. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Was the orange ring really a function or is it just for a cool look? Which, I mean, yeah, admittedly it's a cool look, but um, it, this, this is better for lighting for us as well. Absolutely. So in the daytime, um, hopefully we've got you set up to where all you've got in the daytime is that when you're on low beams anyways, is that... Uh, is that amber ring showing and in your stock headlight. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to stand out in traffic a little bit more. You know, you can, you can kind of take your own judgment as well as that amber ring as bright. And does it stand out as much as say you just ran the auxiliary light? And that's going to be a personal preference. I, I, I like the look of it. Um, I think it, uh, it really adds a lot to the personality of your bike, you know, which we all want to, customize our bikes to be our, our own little thing. Uh, and it worked. I think it does work pretty good. I, I, I see them once in a while. I'll see a customer riding around and, and with our Aurora lights and it does stand out in traffic with that Amber ring and, and as long as look as well as looking cool. Yeah. So, my, my thing with it was, I thought it, um, it looks different and I think it looks different makes a driver sort of take notice of you, whether they can figure out what it is that that's different or just something that looks different rather than just a single headlight looking like it could be a, a car with a headlight out and, and having trouble judging the distance. It just sort of commands that extra attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what the Amber is all about is being different on the road. So right. whether it's a, a ring on your, around your lights or whether it's a filter that goes over your lights, um, you'll, you'll definitely can see it. And I'm, I'm sure all your listeners out there have, have seen this, uh, you know, they're, they're riding their bike or their car or whatever down the road. And all of a sudden here comes another bike. You typically only see this stuff on bikes and well, those cars are starting to do it a little more now too, but, um, you know, you'll see a bike with, with bright amber lights. Well, that's, that's standing out and it's doing its job. Mm -hmm. 
Now the the evolution safety turn signal inserts they, they kind of blew me away really. So these are these are inserts that go in place of your direction signals. And in my case on my bike, so my direction signals aren't on in the front. And I know you know this. And uh, they're only used when I turn, when I put on my turn signals and they flash. This changes those into driving lights in the front, these, these very bright driving lights. And then, and they're white. And then when you put on your signal, they go orange. Um, in the back, it turns into uh, super, bright, super bright brake lights. So when I step on the brakes now and on the brake, I have this center light, which was my, and actually the funny thing is on my bike, it's an LED center light and it's always been super bright. It's been very impressive when I'm out with other bikes, at least back when I first got the bike some years back, because it was, it was sort of rare. But now that I have these, these Evo safety turn signals on the back, they also come on and they kind of make my light look not as bright. Actually, they're, they're, they're pretty stunning. The technology that you use in these to, to get them so bright, is that the, the Cobb system? Actually, those are, it's kind of a, uh, they're not Cree emitters. They're not 100% Cobb either. They're a little bit of a hybrid. Um, so they're, they're a little bit of mixed technology, um, but they, they do lead more towards the Cobb, the Cobb technology than the Cree. Uh, but yeah, they're basically what we've done there is, is now you've got double the rear um, surface area for, for your rear brake lights. So, um, I think that really makes a difference and, and kind of one of the reasons I've really pushed for that product was I was rear-ended on my bike one time sitting at a stoplight. And ever since then, I just kind of go like, man, what can we do and, uh, to, to get more of a surface area, but also brighter lights to the back side of the bike. Um, kind of an added bonus to that is when we do the front and turn those into very bright white running lights that's again adding more to our to our signature as we're going down the road that allowing uh people to see us uh is is the key uh we all want to stay alive out there and and don't want to become a statistic and anything i think anything we can do to broaden or or enlighten our uh our profile is certainly going to help us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they certainly do it. And the, the, the nice thing is, I mean, they go inside, you're not modifying anything. They sit inside your stock reflectors. I, I guess they do it for all the models. Well, when, no, not yet. We've got, uh, we've got some of the BMWs, basically most of the stuff from 14 newer covered, uh, same with KTMs and some triumphs. Um, we're going to do another version now for the, KTMs with the KTM went kind of, <laughs> kind of got us a little bit. Um, we had designed that signal back oh, it was a couple of years ago when everybody, you know, BMW, KTM, Triumph, uh, Zero, several of the manufacturers were, were kind of sharing the same blinker stock. So we looked at that, we go like, Hey man, here we go. We can set up one product that will fit all these different bikes. What, what do you mean? You're talking and, actual plastic? Yeah, the actual plastic is the same on these bikes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, if you start looking around and, and looking at this, uh, you'll you'll notice that same Arrowhead blinker that's on your BMW is also on a KTM 1090 uh, and an 1190. Good and, to know. <laughs> uh, many of the other, and on Triumphs and some of these other bikes. So, I'm like, oh, this would be a great first product. Well, we, we go and we make it and we roll it out. And lo and behold, the very next, uh, we came out with them like in November, couple years ago, KTM introduces the 790 
and it's got 990 style blinkers on it. So they actually went back and adapted some of their older, older styles. I don't know if it's exact fit, but it's very similar to the 990 blinker. Um, and now they've went that direction with all their blinkers. So we're going like, well, now if we, if we make that version, um, it'll fit on some of the older KTMs and certainly all the newer stuff, the super Dukes and all that stuff. So we're, we're probably making that one next. Um, then I think, uh, based on the volume that I've getting emails and requests for, we'll probably go do something down the Honda line, like maybe the Africa twin. Um, and some of those, those blinkers across the Honda line fit several different bikes. You know, it's really hard to do something like that to where you, where you go like, okay, say if the Africa twin, if they only put that blinker on that bike, it would never pay for us to do that design because oh, right. it's very expensive to do. Um, so we have to look at this by how many, how many bikes actually have these different type of blinker stocks in there. And it's at our customer base. Can we, can we go after that and feel pretty good that we're going to recoup our investment? Um, that's, that's kind of why we chose that one for the BMW and KTMs and Triumphs, Huskies and all that stuff originally was that we knew it would fit a lot of different bikes. So now we just need to take that, that idea and that, that design process and move it to other machines. You, you know, when I see this on my bike, I think it, I don't understand why they don't do this stock. And do you ever worry about that? I mean, you're making this thing like to me that, that brake system that I have on now, when I touch that brake, I can see by looking at my mirror, you know, at night, you can see it light up signs way down the road. Like I mean, this thing oh, is yeah. really obvious and I've seen it from the back as well. It's very, very obvious. I mean, it, it just commands attention. Do you ever worry that the manufacturers are just going to say, Hey, we're going to start doing this. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Cyclops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah. They, they, they very likely could, um, you know, we're faced that right now with the, with led bulbs. We, we came out with led bulbs, um, about six years ago or so. And, uh, now we're seeing the bikes that are, are actually coming with led headlights. Um, mm. and there's nothing we can do about that. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the involvement of technology and that's, that's a good thing for everybody. Um, it is kind of interesting though, say, let's say you get a customer with a new R1250 GS and his buddy's got an R121200 that has our bulbs in it. And he comes and asks us, Hey, can you, can you put those bulbs in my bike? Um, which of course we can't. Uh, but that's, that's kind of a, kind of a cool thing to hear that, that a customer with a brand new bike wants to put our led bulbs in it, um, to match what his buddy's older bike is actually putting out for light. Yeah. Um, so now, now you, you just mentioned the headlight led replacements. Do you build that? And you must, I guess, um, to cash in on the reflector that comes stock because the reflectors are made for the incandescent bulbs or halogen yes. bulbs rather. And you, yes. you're manufacturing them that way. Absolutely. In fact, we work really hard to um, gain European certifications. TU, TUV and E13 certifications are, are huge. Um, and basically, in order to obtain one of those certifications, that um, product has got to be put in a certain headlight. Say, if we're, if we're trying to get it for... Um, uh, well, I've been using a GS, so I'll, I'll use that again. Um, say we want to get our bulbs rated as TUV uh, in a GS headlight. We have to submit a GS headlight to 
the regulatory authorities in Europe and they run full tests on it. And, you know, if it passes, it's got the proper low beam cutoff, uh, passes all their specifications, then we can get the TUV certificate. Obviously, we can't do that on every single bike, every single um, product we have. So we try to take a generic uh, headlight and typically this ends up, usually ends up being an automotive headlight because that's what these people are give out these certifications we're used to working with. So um, we'll go after TUV certification on, well, I think the last one we did was a uh, Ford Escort, a new Escort, which is still produced in Europe, but not in the United States um, or any other country that I'm aware of. But that was the headlight that was chosen that they would do their testing on. And then we passed uh, with flying colors. So, uh, it is important as far as making a bulb that you get the proper cutoffs in uh, each of the individual headlights. For the most part, we've we've got that done pretty well. Um, very seldom do I have a customer that calls me up complaining about a beam pattern or something. It does happen occasionally, but uh, very rarely. We've, we feel we've really got it nailed down to where our bulbs will work well in just about everything halogen headlight out there. Yeah. I mentioned before about seeing people drive down the road and it seems really, really common now. I mean, I guess people are buying more and more led bulbs, but you'll see people drive down the road and the light is going everywhere. That's a light that's really not manufactured properly then. No, that's wasted energy and it's not good for anybody. Well, it's that's, annoying that's, going the other way, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's really what, uh, has caused some of the regulatory, um, things going on in certain countries with LEDs um, because anybody can claim DOT. Uh, you don't have to, you don't have to submit anything to any regulatory agency. You just simply say, Hey, this is DOT and it's DOT. Uh, oh, cause, cause that's self-regulation. Is that what it is? You're, exactly. you're testing yourself and, and certifying it yourself. Right. Oh, so if something's labeled DOT doesn't necessarily mean that, that it's gone through the, through any type of testing at all. Mm. That's good to know. Anything else we should know before we wrap this up? Well, yeah, I think you covered it pretty well. You've got, kept me on my toes. That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, customer consumer awareness is probably the biggest thing in led lights, uh, to really realize what you're getting, what, what looks like a duck sometimes is not a duck. Mm-hmm. Um, far from it as yeah. a matter of fact. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, you know, if you, if, if you see, if you see anything that's labeled Cree and it's being sold for 30 bucks, it's not a Cree. It's a, it's a counterfeit light. Right. Um, and that's, that's going on really prominently right now as well that, uh, uh, there are a lot of fake Cree emitters, counterfeit Cree emitters out there. Um, and there are a way, there is a way to tell them apart. Layman's probably not going to be able to, to tell that, but, but you can see it under a microscope. But that, uh, you're not going to find any quality LED light for, for 30 bucks uh, on Amazon or something like that. Everything, the price can be your, probably your biggest, um, your biggest focal point of what you're actually buying. Um, if it's cheap, there's a reason. Right. The, the old adage, right? I mean, you, you get what you pay for, or if it seems like too good of a deal, it probably is too good of a deal. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, with, with lighting, with bikes, I mean, how important do you think it is 
for having us be seen? I, I think it's everything. Um, you know, it's uh, look at what we're doing. We're we're out there putting ourselves in in you know harm's way every day. Every time you're on your bike and you're you're riding in traffic, um, if somebody can't see, and that's that's typically what happens. You know, somebody oh I didn't see them. Well, you yeah. know, and um, we have to do everything we can to be seen. Uh, and I think that uh, just having a good high quality light can go a long ways. Daryl, all great information. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Jim. Great talking with you and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. That was the first of more to come in our visibility series. We're going to have a page on that uh, on our website where you can find the full series along with photos, show notes, and, and links, etc. I was speaking this time with Daryl Van Neuenhaus from Cyclops Adventure Sports. You can find out more about Cyclops and their lighting at it, cyclopsadventuresports.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks, of course, to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Now, don't forget, we have another show called ARR Raw. It comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately for that, and like Adventure Rider Radio, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you haven't done it already, we would love to get a five-star review from you on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Teach McNeil and you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 